In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Before having children, I did not anticipate how important security blankets and stuffed animals would be in my life. But all three of my kids have had security blankets, or blankies, as they were called in our house. And I'll pause, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, so I'll say they had, they've all grown up, they don't carry them around anymore. But when they were younger, not a day went by where I was not in some way dealing with a blankie problem. Right, my girls' security blankies didn't just stay in their beds, they went with us everywhere. Right, much like Linus and Peanuts, our girls' blankets got dragged across the ground, thrown around outside, and then at the end of the day, they would wind up on our dinner table. They went in the car with us when we traveled, they went to the sitter's house. But the problem with the blankets, though, was when they were forgotten. Right, if a blanket got left in a car, left outside, got lost in a couch cushion, then it all hit the fan. There was a problem. Right, there was crying and frantic searching. Security blankets were just serious business. Well, it's not hard to figure out why they were serious business. Security blankets provide something familiar and comfortable in a world that's always changing. They allow children to feel safe in all kinds of situations. When going to a new place or when mom and dad had to leave, the security blankets were a way to hold on to something safe. And so most of us, most of us, learn to leave our blankies behind as we get to school age or when we get older, but it's just not socially acceptable for adults to carry around security blankets, I suppose. But adults do cling to other things that we believe bring us security and identity in a world of transition, right? And some of these things are tangible, like a certain amount of money in our wallets or credit cards or a nice car that won't break down, something like that. And some of these things are intangible, our family name, our education, our politics, something like that can serve as a security blanket for us adults. And growing up security blankets are not always bad on their own. It's not a bad thing to be prudent and to save money for emergencies or for retirement. That's just being a good steward of your resources. But there is a line we often cross in which we begin to trust these resources more than we trust God himself. We may come to believe, consciously or otherwise, that having the right number in the bank account will truly make us safe. We may quietly obsess and worry over having that right number, and we may start to believe that we're only secure when we reached it. In some ways then, it becomes our identity, becomes our priority in life. That number may shape how we give to the church, how we give to the needy. It may weigh on how we spend to choose our time. Our desire for security then becomes a perversion of the security that is really, truly only found in God. There comes a time for our spiritual well-being that we need to ask ourselves, what are the things in our lives that bring us security to the point of idolatry? What are some areas in our day-to-day -day living we can examine and say, you know, I am holding on to this worldly priority where I should be holding on to Christ. Our gospel reading this morning gives us a great picture on how to start to address this question. 
John the Baptist is a prophet preaching to the Pharisees and to the crowds coming to him, and he's telling them to repent because the Messiah is coming. The world is about to change, so it's time to get your life turned around. But the specific message he tells to the religious leaders and the political leaders coming to him is, do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able to raise children out of these stones. The Pharisees were coming out into the wilderness to hear John to be baptized. And the warning he gives to them is don't trust that just because you're Jewish or you have the right last name or that your ancestors were faithful, that you are okay. You're not. John gets to the heart of the matter and tells them what their security blanket is, their identity as Jewish people. But it's a false security, according to John, because it's not a real faith. It's not living out a real faith. Rather, it's placing hope in something other than God himself. In Baptist churches, I used to hear preachers say, God has no grandchildren. Right? And that's kind of a crude way to get to the same point. The gift of faith is about you trusting in the promises of God. It doesn't matter that your grandparents were important members of the church or that your mother prayed for an hour a day. Those things are great. And thank God that we have those faithful people to teach us. But we can't find security in what our ancestors have done. John the Baptist then becomes a kind of extreme cutting away, an extreme example of cutting away of these false securities in life. It becomes an example to us of what it looks like to place hope in God alone. Now, John the Baptist is extreme. There's a saying that reminds us some saints are to be imitated in their holiness, others should just be admired. John is one to be more admired than imitated, but the extreme ways in which he lived his life point to the truth that there's really nothing other than God which gives us security. John lives and preaches in the wilderness. He cuts himself off from community. He takes himself away from the temple where his father was a priest, and instead preaches independent of any kind of religious institution. The only food he eats, the scriptures tell us, were locusts and honey. They're foods that he can gather for himself in the wilderness. His clothes are simple. And the picture of John is a picture of a man who finds his security in God alone. He has no worldly attachments. In his extremes, however, we can evaluate ourselves. What are we holding on to that gives us false security? For perfectionists, it might be thinking that completing all your work to a high standard will secure you a place of importance. Some people might hold on to their intelligence, their education as central to their identities. Some parents find security in the success of their children and so on. And all of these things have their place. But we always have to be aware that our sinful hearts will try to latch on to them more than anything else. And the secret that the world doesn't tell you is that all of those security blankets that replace faith in God will let you down. Security blankets don't help us when the real trouble set in because security blankets are fleeting. We can always lose money. We can be abandoned by friends, by colleagues. Our health can turn at any time. There is only one place to find true security, 
and that is in Christ. But it's also at that point where the third Sunday of Advent takes a turn from the previous two Sundays. The first two Sundays are very much about being awake, being prepared, examining yourself, shaking off complacency, getting ready for Christ to come to us. Indeed, the first two Sundays really are about examining ourselves to make sure that we hold on to nothing but Christ. But the third Sunday of Advent reminds us to rejoice that that's the case. God does not just take away our security blankets and leave us in this world all alone. God does not just smash our idols and tell us there is no hope. Instead, God takes away all of our false hopes and gives us himself through Christ. This Sunday is traditionally called Gadate Sunday, which in Latin just means Rejoice Sunday. And it comes from our Philippians reading this morning. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. As you see, we lit the pink candle this morning. Churches sometimes will change out their blue pyramids and put up pink ones. Because this morning we receive that commandment from Scripture to rejoice. And notice, rejoicing is not optional. It's a command. It's a command about how we can respond to the good news that Christ is coming for us. We respond by rejoicing. I had a co-worker who often talked about his mantra as a father, which he believed in something called forced family fun. He said he would spend time with his kids and they were going to have fun spending time with their father, whether they wanted to or not. His kids were going to have fun whether they liked it or not. Well, this is something how scripture sounds to me this morning. Right? We're told to rejoice whether we feel like it or not. We're told to rejoice because something good is going on. We're told to rejoice because Christ is coming. And maybe you're just starting to feel a bit run down from this season. You've been baking, shopping, wrapping presents, planning meals, attending events, working overtime, and you're ready for it to all just to kind of wind down. But scripture reminds us that now is the time to rejoice. As we anticipate the coming of Christ and we celebrate his presence with us, even now we must rejoice. Our Old Testament reading from the prophet Zephaniah is some of the most beautiful poetry in the Bible. But you'll notice that this reading starts with an imperative, a command. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice, and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. And why does the prophet tell the people of Jerusalem to rejoice? Because the Lord God is in their midst. In the presence of God, we're called to rejoice. And so Advent is a time to hold up our security blankets and ask ourselves, what do we really trust in? Christ is coming to establish his kingdom. That's where you will find true security. Not in the things that we hold up in this world, but in Christ alone. As the psalmist says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? It is the Lord who is my strength and my life. Is it the coming of Christ that we trust? Can we cry out to him, come Lord Jesus? Are we attached to nothing but his goodness? Well, if not, let's look to John and let's listen to John the Baptist and repent. 
Let's live in the freedom of the grace of God, not in the bondage of worldly attachments. Because repenting of all of our false securities is a true reason for joy this morning. Because when we repent of what is false, God gives us what is true. He gives us Jesus Christ. Amen.